chapter 12. Can anybody guess the, t- the title? <laughs> Give it up for Ruth. Woo! That's right. That's right. She's on the ball. That's right. We've been seeing on page 147 on that a couple times already. What is the standard for manhood? What defines a man? Well, that's the problem. Society has their version. We have our own selfish version, uh, but God has his. And how many guys would say that God's way is the best way? It's always a safe answer in church services. Yes, God's way is the best way. And uh, uh, we saw, well, what's the character of a Christian? You know, right? that's, that's a neat uh, a goal, but how do you pull it off? What is God's expectation for a godly man? Well, that's what we saw. He's supposed to be above reproach. He's supposed to be a one-woman man or a husband of one wife is what that literally means. He needs to be temperate, uh, prudent, self-controlled, in other words, honorable or respectable, hospitable, able to teach. He needs to be a skilled teacher, uh, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious. I love that word. Just sounds like a breed of dog, doesn't it? At least it does for me, Byron. Uh, but uh, that's right. It means to be a brawler, somebody who's always just looking for a fight. Uh, you're not to be that. And the, the opposite of that, gentle, uncontentious, uh, free from the love of money. You need to manage your own household well. Page 150. And his life is to be characterized by holiness. Okay, a godly man. It's not just the issue of, I'm a Christian. I need to be a man. Uh, you need to be a godly man. And believe, no pun intended, there's a world of difference there uh, when it means that. And then last time, if you were here, we, we made it through one whole paragraph. Woo! Yeah, because there was a lot in that paragraph, if you recall. Or at least I thought there was. Uh, and that's the role of man in society. Why is that important? Uh, that as men, Christian men, godly Christian men, uh, we need to be that way. Because it's, as we saw last week, in society, okay, we need to be a positive witness, in society, and we dealt with that. And then tonight, now we're going to take a look as a role of a man, husband, and father, godly. I keep asked, uh, adding that word. Not only our witness in society, but now we're going to start to turn, all right, how about your witness in your home or your family? All right, are our families messed up today? Are the homes broken up today? <laughs> yeah, okay. Men, it is our duty scripturally to lead the way back by example, okay? We need to be God's men. Okay, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. See how far we can get. The man, the top page 151 is where we're at. The man as the husband. What is the role of the man in the family? Well, if you're married, you're supposed to be a godly husband. Okay, now as we saw before, at least the way I visualize it scripturally, not just because I are one, uh, is because as the family is a husband, if you will, to give you an idea, guys, that the husband, the Christian godly man, if he's married and has little crumb snatchers, right, uh, uh, is you are in essence the pastor of the home. And I really think, especially as men, that brings it home to us what is expected, not just of IR1, literally, and gifted by that when I got saved with the gift of teaching, and that's what God's called this life to do in service to him and to his church, okay? But that's what you are. You're the pastor. You're the spiritual leader of the home. And as we're going to see, if we get that far, okay, uh, that is, I love that smile, Ruth. It's just a smile of faith. Yeah, right. We ran it through one paragraph, buddy. Okay, last week, but we're not bitter about it, are we? Yeah, let's keep moving. I want to make it past one paragraph tonight, Tom. Uh, but no, you're the, the pastor of the home, okay, is what you're called to be, okay? You are the spiritual leader. And just as you would expect a spiritual standard for your pastor, uh-huh. okay, good answer, right? Which, by the way, did you know I have the same standard for you? What? Uh, yeah, because you know what? I'm a Christian just like you. Show me the verse that says the pastor's supposed to be up here spiritually seeking, serving God. And that is true. But for somehow the rest of us, I'm not a pastor. <laughs> really? We're all Christians, aren't we? 
We just serve in different ways. Same thing when it comes to the home. The man is the pastor of the home, if you will. He's the spiritual leader, okay? And you need to be that spiritual leader. And we're going to... Let's just get going and stop saying if we get that far, shall we? All right, let's go. Uh, pastor, uh, husband of the home. The role of the man as a husband is covered in several passages of Scripture. We'll take a look at a few tonight. In the previous chapter, we saw that from the beginning, God designed the family in such a way that the man exercised headship. Well, how does he do it? He's a leader. Underline that word. The man's primary role in the family is he's to be leading. Okay? Leading the family in a God-honoring direction. Okay, that's his challenge. And the woman was created as the helper in the endeavor. All right, underline that helper. Okay, now again, as we saw before, uh, our society says, well, that ain't right. How come he gets to do that and I have to blah, blah, blah. It, listen, it's not a competition thing. How many guys, again, uh, to uh, belabor the point, have recognized so far that men and women are different? Yeah, thank you. I almost didn't have to finish that. All right, so then is it really shocking that men and women have different roles and functions in the family? No, because we're different, right? We're not the same. We'll never be the same physically, intrinsically, emotionally, uh, psychologically, biologically. So why are we shocked when it comes to spiritual roles that there's a difference? Now, what the world wants to do is take a look at these differences, whether they are physically or psychologically or spiritual, and then say, well, that's not right. That's not fair. We all got to be the exact same. That's crazy. Okay? It's crazy. As we saw before, listen, it's just they're different because we're different. But listen, they're equally important, equally invaluable for the success of the family and the home. Just do it God's way. Don't mess it up. Man, as we saw before, man is the peanut butter, woman is the jelly. Right? They're different. You just do what you do, but you put them together in the same proximity. Woo! Good stuff. Let's move on. All right. Uh, in the New Testament, there's several passages in Paul's letters in which he addresses the question that we posed in the margin. Now, we're going to read one, two, three. I got marked down. And let's take a look biblically. The first one's Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And let's take a look biblically of what is the role of the man. And of course, we're going to see in the context the woman as well, but that's Lord willing next chapter. But let's take a look at what is expected as this godly husband, okay, uh, as the Christian godly man. Let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 5. We're actually going to start with verse 22, okay? Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22 says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. What? Husbands, uh, why? Well, because the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. Okay? It's what he's saying there. Uh, uh, and then he says this. He says, his body, which of he is the Savior. Now, he said this, uh, uh, as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit to their husbands and everything. So if he asks you to go rob that liquor store, oh, well, obviously I got to do it. No, so we're going to see later, uh, the scripture interprets scripture, and the scripture says that uh, we are not to be involved in sin as Christians, period. So if your husband asks you to do something sinful, ladies, that doesn't mean you do it. Hello, and we'll see if we get that far. Is apparently the phrase for tonight, Bonnie, what do you think? Uh, we'll see a couple examples of that, okay? As the apostles say, I'll just give you one off the top of my head, uh, say that, it, hey, listen, it's better to obey God than men. And that would include your husband, men, Ladies, if he's asking you to do something godly, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that, okay? But if he's asking you within reason things that are not s- sinful, that's, that's part of your role, that's that helpmate, that helper. Now, husbands, what are you supposed to do? Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and what? Gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle, with any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Listen, Let's all say that tonight. If we 
get that far. We're going to see. <laughs> One of the neat things about this man is you talk about convicting, okay? Listen, I'll just, just give you one little teaser. Husbands, uh, uh, listen, is your wife a better Christian, a stronger Christian because she married you? That's what he's talking about. That's our role, man. Okay, let's continue on. And he says this, and then in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must uh, also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. Flip over now to Colossians chapter 3. Take a look at another parallel passage. Colossians chapter 3. Hang right there a few pages. Might be 27 pages if you got large print, but we're not counting. We just want to get there. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, stalled enough time. Let's take a look there. Uh, let's take a look at verse 18. Now it says this once again. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Okay, one more passage just to grab the context of what we're talking about tonight. First Peter chapter 3, hang it even bigger right. First Peter chapter 3, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 6. And once again, it's just, it's, Ephesians 5 is not the only place that gives us specific repeated instructions of what our role is to be in the family. And again, the topic mainly tonight is with the husband. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 1 Uh, says this wives in the same way be submissive to your husband so that listen if any of them do not believe the word they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives excuse me your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes instead it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in whose sight God, you want to be God, and we'll get to that, Lord willing, in the next chapter. You want to be God's woman? You want to bring a smile to God's face as a wife, as a mother, as a woman? Do that. Have that attitude. For this is the way the holy women in the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham. I love this one. This chap's the hide. And called him her master. All right, guys, I'm here for you tonight. Those of you ladies who are here tonight with your husbands, Married, obviously. Go ahead. Let's do it. Let's demonstrate this act of faith. Turn to your husband and say, yes, master. <laughs> Can't even spit it out, can you? <laughs> but that's the attitude there, okay? <laughs> it just makes you giggle. But man, that's good Bible. Okay, yes, master. Sarah said, hey, listen, man. You are her daughters if you do what is right. And do not give way to fear. All right, husbands now in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs uh, with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now that's just three texts that we're gonna deal with uh, on that aspect, but let's continue on. Down there in the second paragraph, he says, as previously stated, the exciting part for a Christian, listen, is that God has provided a solution to our fallen state. All right, now listen, this is pretty cool. The solution helps husband and the wife the husband and the wife, to overcome the sinful effects of the fall and to live out, underline this, the pre-fall design for marriage. Now, this is awesome news. How many guys realize that uh, marriage has its challenges? 
right? I tell couples this all the time in premarital counseling. Did you realize that your biggest problem is? Yeah, uh, but, but that you are marrying a person with a sin nature? Oh, can you believe that? What a choice that was. And then I turn to the other person and say, oh, by the way, you know what your biggest problem is? Uh, you're, you, you're getting married to one too. And so that means, guess what? Not condoning it. You got this war going on and here's what God says to do, but you're not gonna do it. And God's ways are the best ways and the highest ways and the right ways. And he's the one who instituted marriage. If you just do it, you're gonna have a great time, but you're gonna have this battle going. But this is the good news. He's saying, listen, but if you would even listen, church, you, you wanna reverse the divorce rate stat in the church, which the last time I heard was worse than the world? Get back to God's design. Stop listening to your sin nature. Stop listening to this world and get back to God's design. And not just overturn that stat because it's a bad witness. That's pretty apparent. But start enjoying, listen what he said there, the pre-fall design for marriage. To get back to not just having a equitable marriage, okay, but a marriage that comes with all the benefits it was designed to be before Adam and Eve blew it. When God instituted marriage in the garden. Now, how do you pull that off? That's what he says down here. Okay, he says, by being controlled by the spirit is the key to a wise life that expresses itself in God-honoring speech towards others, internal joy, a grateful heart to God the Father, and mutual submission between the believers. In other words, I am committed to be that godly man, husband, and father, regardless of you. And hopefully, if your spouse, in this other case, then by way of example, woman comes to that point of mutual submission i'm going to be the best godly woman wife and mother that god's called me to be if you can get both christian spouses submitting to that biblical role at the same time wow and not just submitting to it but he says the key is learning as we saw before in our earlier chapters do it by the power of the spirit because we ain't got the ability to do it do we we want to rebel against this but if you do it God's way by his power, so he even provides not just the way out of the mess, he provides the power, the impetus to fulfill it. Isn't that awesome? He says, that's the good news. It's not just, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. Hey, do you want, not just a sort of good marriage. Do you want a marriage that's the closest to how it was supposed to be before the fall? Do it. And yet sometimes we just listen to the world, don't we? As the church, we need to lead the way back, and certainly as men. Now, now, uh, a man and a husband, let's take a look at some of these different roles, okay, that we need to do. And the first one he mentions here is the good old leave and cleave, right? Leave and cleave, okay? And uh, that was uh, uh, Beaver's uh, two good friends on that show, wasn't it? No, wrong ones. Okay, and uh, leave and cleave. Let's take a look at that. The first step for the spirit-filled man to have a successful marriage is given in Genesis 2.24, which states, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, when this leaving and cleaving does not occur, listen, it spells, underline this word, because this is good. I, I don't think he's overemphasizing this at all. Disaster for the marriage, all right? We have a phrase in ministry, and sometimes I'll use this in counseling when people don't get this. Hey, listen, um, leave and cleave, that sounds like a spiritual, what's that mean, Pastor Billy? Hey, how about this one? Maybe this will get your attention. How about uh, cut the cord? (laughs) The umbilical cord, right? Cut the cord, sever it, man. When you get married, all right, and you have a problem, don't go whining back to mommy, husband. You ain't believe what she said to me. Get on the phone, right? 
And ladies, don't go whine back to mommy or daddy. You What? You're supposed to work it out between each other. You're supposed to leave and cleave. You're supposed to leave your families behind, get busy starting to create your own family, and you need to cleave to one another. We'll get to, uh, hopefully in a second, if I remember what that word cleave means. Phenomenal in the Hebrew there. Okay. And uh, why? Because it's the ultimate setup. Parents, by nature, we gravitate towards our own kids, right? Okay, right? And so if they come back whining to us, whose sides are we going to probably automatically pick? But it's only half the story. Now, here's the problem. Next time you get together at those family functions at Thanksgiving and Christmas and Yahoo, guess who's getting the evil eye? And the guy doesn't even know why. What did I do? Did I, did I just spill the gravy? What? You're my daughter, I tell you. Leave and cleave. Now, it doesn't mean that you dishonor your parents. The scripture says we need to. It doesn't mean that mom and dad doesn't have advice. But my advice to couples is, listen, if you're going to go to parents for advice, you better be in complete communication and agreement on it before you do it. Don't do it behind each other's back because you're violating this principle, leave and cleave, all right? Otherwise, you're just inviting trouble. Don't do it. And that's what he says. Cut the cord, man. It's disaster. Uh, this one guy writes, by the leaving of the father and mother, which applies to the woman as well as the man, the conjugal union is shown to be a spiritual oneness, a vital communion. Wow, we get to fill in the word. Of heart as well as body in which it finds its consummation. Another guy writes, becoming one flesh involves the complete identification of one personality with the other in a community of interests and pursuits, a union consummated in intercourse. Okay, let me get back to that word, what it means with cleave. This is a cool thing. Uh, what's that phrase again tonight? If we get that far. Boy, you guys are awesome. Okay, <laughs> all two of you. Uh, it literally means glued together. And the best way I've ever had it described and I think this is accurate to the Hebrew there, what does it mean to cleave, all right? You leave your family, cut the cord, create your own family, right? Deal with your issues, all right? But you, you're literally glued together now. This is your goal, one flesh, right? But if I were to take on this piece of paper, and if I were to smear super glue, not just glue, super glue all over the back of this, and then I take this piece of paper, and I super glue all over the back of that one too, and then I perfectly put these two things together, okay, smear it on there, let it dry completely, right? If I were to say, well, it's now time to take these two pieces of paper apart. Anywhere, and of course, you know, what's going to happen? They're, they're completely cleaved together. I mean, I mean, any edge, anywhere, any however, whatever methodology, it's going to completely shred. This is why God doesn't like divorce. In fact, he uses strong words, I hate divorce. Okay, and especially, uh, even if it's biblical grounds, it doesn't mean you jump at it. I'm not condoning by sinful behavior. Why? Because the, whether you see it or not, there's a union that's taking place. You've cleaved together. You are so stuck to each other, okay, that any type of separation oh, shreds you apart as a person. Okay, but that's the goal. That's the goal that God wants us so close together. Man, we are just stuck together. And on a positive sense, nothing's going to, Nothing's going to take us apart. In fact, we're not even going to attempt to go there because we know the pain that would ensue. Okay, leave and cleave, leave and cleave. Now, let's take a look at the top, page 152. What's another aspect? Leave and cleave is you're going to be that godly husband, man, father. All right, you need to love men as Christ loved is the next section here. Love as Christ loved. Paul, in his discussion of the role of man in marriage, again states the divine design 
Genesis 1 through 3, wives are to be subject to their husbands. Husbands are to bear the responsibility of headship in the marriage. Again, headship is defined in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman. The man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. Paul summarizes that role in marriage in one simple phrase. Hey, you, you want me to tell you? What's the, what? Yeah, you are called to lead, but in what aspect are you called to lead? What, what, what's the characteristic of that? He says, husbands, love your wives. Okay, as you're blank there, love. Husband, love your wives. MacArthur states this, the word that Paul uses here for love is agapao. As we saw before, it literally means a self-sacrificial action purely for the benefit of another person. It's not an emotion, it's a verb, it's an action. Okay. And it's the strongest, most intimate, far-reaching, most qualitative term for love. Yes, there is to be authority in marriage. Yes, there is one who is the head, one who is follows. Why? Because we saw before, how, how do you like uh, two people in the workplace trying to be the boss at the same time? How does that work out for you? How do you like two people uh, trying to lead the military at the same time, the general uh, trying to give out orders to the soldiers? How does that work out for you? Right? Uh, how does that work out even in the church setting when there's a conflict in the leadership? How does that work out for you? So, so it doesn't work anywhere in those arenas. Why do we think we need a two-headed monster in the home? Somebody's got to lead. The buck's got to stop somewhere. Again, that's just the peanut butter roll. She's got the jelly roll, okay? It's not that one's better than the other, one's more important. It's just they're different, but leave it alone. Just do what God says. Awesome. Cleave together, have a wonderful marriage. The best possible, the Christian by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are the only ones on the planet who have the ability to get back to having the closest possible uh, wonderful marriage than anybody else on the planet since the fall of mankind. Isn't that a privilege? Man, you would think we'd be running after that. God, what else do I gotta do? I want that, right? And this is what he continues to say. He says, this is what you're supposed to do. He says, but verse 25 does not say, husbands, rule your wives. Not husbands, subject your wives. Husbands, command your wives. No, Paul says, husbands, love your wives. All right? In your leadership. The way that the husband is to love his wife is the same way that Christ loved the church. By giving himself for her. The love of a husband for his wife is to be a self-sacrificial love. Oh, this is awesome. Note that Christ's love was this way, not when his bride was the, quote, obedient Christian woman. He demonstrates that while we were still yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us, right? As the man, the headship above us is Jesus Christ, right? And, and, and as his leadership, what did he do for his bride? Us, the church. He didn't wait for us to be perfect. He didn't wait for us to finally get it all right and together, but say, okay, now I'm gonna love you. And that's what he's saying, guys. You can't sit there, well, God, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to love my wife. I'm not going to leave her in the paws of God the way because she doesn't respect me. She doesn't submit to me. She doesn't blip. I'm not condoning that. She's going to answer to God before that. For that. You, spiritually, are the home. You do what is right regardless. If anybody's going to lead the way back to the biblical example, it's on the shoulder of the man. It's not a scapegoat for ladies. But the man, that's what, welcome to leadership, is what I say a lot. All right. He says this. Now, um, even in our gross sin, Christ made a choice to love us. The choice was not based on emotion. It was based on the fact that he wanted to do the will of the Father. Husbands are to love in the same way. Our love must ultimately be based on a desire to honor the Father. Listen, not on the unworthiness of our wives. In other words, we're going to do it anyway. Okay? 
We're going to continue to be that godly man, husband, father, whether or not our wife deserves it. And wives, you need to do the same thing. And your role as the peanut butter and jelly hopefully comes together at some point. Okay? And uh, that's what we're called to do. We're going to do regardless of their behavior. Okay? Why? Because we're going to stand before God. Do you realize that? I, I really don't think that we believe that sometimes in the church. Myself included. If we really understood that we're going to give an account for every word, every deed, everything we've ever done, I think we'd change overnight, wouldn't we? I don't think we always believe that. But we're going to. And we can't get up there, men or ladies, we can't get up there and God says, hey, okay, how, how were you as that godly Christian man or that godly Christian woman I called you to be, or husband or wife, whatever your status is, father, mother, you have kids. Well, God, that, that wife you gave me. Oh, what's that sound like? What was the first sin after the first sin? Rhymes with blame. That's right, Jim. Blame is the answer. When Adam and Eve fell, what did Adam do? It's that woman. I couldn't be that leader because of her. If it weren't for her. Did that fly with God? No. Ladies. Well, I, I wasn't going to submit to him or listen to him or follow his lead. He doesn't even know how to lead. You know, I'm the better leader of the family. I wear the pants. Whoa. God calls you on the carpet. <gasps> wasn't me, God. It was that snake. That snake of a husband. That snake. You think that's going to fly with God? No. You need to do it in honor to the Father. God, I'm going to be. I, I, do you, we've talked about this before, I believe. Did you know that the way that you treat your spouse is an act of worship unto Jesus Christ? See, we get that when it comes to serving like in the church. Well, Sunday school, I'm serving Jesus. I'm preaching from the pulpit. I'm serving Jesus, doing what he's called me to do. I'm helping the poor. I'm, I, in Jesus' name, I'm doing that. And that's good. Praise God. But did you realize that how we treat each other in the home is an act of service unto Jesus Christ, regardless of the person. Because we all know that in Sunday school classes, especially with those little crumb snatchers, they're always so well behaved. And as Sunday school teachers, that uh, it's just a joy to be in there. Yes, the coffee gives it away. I get choked up too, just thinking about it. Okay, no, uh, no. And so what do we, <laughs> it's got its challenges, right? Any area of service does. Right? But what do you do? You keep going back week after week because you love those kids and you're doing it because Jesus said that's what he wants done. Yes, sir, Captain, sir. What else do you want me to do? That's the attitude in our roles as marriage. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, it's undeserved, the, unsacrificial, the sacrificial love. Uh, oh, by the way, don't ever ask. We've talked about this before. Don't ever ask from God what you deserve because we'd all be burning straight in hell, myself included. Appreciate, celebrate, rejoice in his mercy that we walk, live, eat, and breathe in. Amen? Okay? Even though sacrificial love is undeserved, it reaches to the greatest lengths as exemplified in Christ. It says, you may not deserve anything, but I give you everything I would even die for you. Is Paul saying that's the attitude the husband, that's his attitude towards his wife he's supposed to have? Then he must come to the place where he can say to her, I love you, I commit myself to you, and I give everything I have uh, uh, to you. I, I will even die for you. That's the issue. And such love is not resignation, but the expression of an eager, joyful heart. Oh, all right. That's really got me, the Wednesday night Bible study. I'll do it. No. What's he say? An eager, joyful, yes, God. Yes, yes. If, if that's how I, I show you I love you and I'm grateful and thankful 
by the power of your spirit to worship you. Yes. Oh, and by the way, and I also know that's the pathway to have the best possible marriage since the fall of mankind. Yeah. Right? That's to be our attitude is what he's saying there. He continues, Husbands, you will never really know how to love until you sacrificed yourself, crucified yourself, died yourself. Oh my, my, my word, what is, the, what is the word in our society today? Listen to that. Crucify yourself, die to yourself, sacrifice yourself. But what does society say to kids we high? It's all about self, self, self. Completely antithetical. No wonder things are messed up. Okay, Paul says, uh, true love does not seek its own. As long as a man is looking out for what he can personally gain from the marriage, he's never going to know what it is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He can never experience the richness richness of self-giving and its amazing dividends. What's the phrase that Jesus said that Paul records for us? It's better to give than it is to receive. Okay, the command alone should make Christian divorce almost non-existence. Okay, now MacArthur says three things that we can express this uh, kind of love. Number one, the top page 153, he says this. He says, uh, consideration. Consideration. First Peter chapter three, verse seven says, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. Or some translations might say, husbands understand your wives. Now, man, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, pretty much every single time, the theme music to Mission Impossible starts playing through my head. Okay, and, and, but no, it is possible. You may not understand everything just as they can't always compute <laughs> why we do what we do, okay? Uh, but here's what he says. Here's, he fills in the blank. I, well, okay, understand. What do you mean understand? Well, here's some things you're supposed to understand. Uh, to love her demands sensitivity, understanding, and consideration. Women often complain about their husbands. He never understands how I feel. Lack of consideration often builds a wall in a marriage. Peter tells us to tear it down. In essence, be sensitive, be understanding, feel what she feels. So what this means is as men, we need to become some sort of passive, feminine guys who get in touch with our inner feelings and share them with our wife. No. Excuse me? I don't see John Wayne ever doing that. Okay? And by the way, uh, where's the role models gone today? You look at the guy, you look at the protector. I'm not saying go out there with a rifle and blow people up with this John Wayne did. I'm just okay. By way of examples, the strong, silent type, the provider, the protector, the guy who would sacrifice himself for the family. Where's those guys today? Okay, but it's a biblical role. Okay, but let, let me give you, well, I understand, since, what, what, what feel, how she feel, what? Let me give you just one word. Lord willing, we'll cover this on the marriage study coming down the pike. Okay, what I've learned is sometimes your wife, guys, just wants you to listen. Now, let me add this, guys. You might get this one. Listen without trying to fix it. Now, this drives us up a wall, ladies, because our nature is to fix things. And when you start speaking to us with your problems, we go into fix mode, right? And we're going, in our brains, we're trying to listen to you, but we've already formulated 18 different plans that if you would just follow our plan and fix it, we wouldn't have to keep talking about this and I could move on to what's this, hopefully the second quarter now. The game is almost over. No, but we, <laughs> just being honest, you guys know I'm right. Okay, and, and so, but we want to fix it, right? But ladies, you don't want us to fix it. 
You don't want solutions. You want sympathy. You want us to understand how you feel. I still, to this day, I struggle with it. I'll be honest with you, but I'm learning over many years of marriage that many times Brandy wants to come home and she just wants to detox, if you will, share with her on her day, has no desire for me to offer solution, and I just sit there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Picked up a couple clues from my daughter to throw my wife a bone as I'm listening, truly listening, letting her express how she feels. And um, I, Rebecca actually taught me this, just watching how she works with her mom. And, and I'm going, oh, sorry to hear that. I'm not fixing it. It's, oh, oh, that's, oh, that's too bad. Sorry that that happened to you today, right? And walk away. It is so hard to keep my mouth shut because I've got 19 plans by that time to fix every single thing that she said. So she never had to deal with it again. And I think it's effective. And walk away, man. Uh, I don't get it. It makes no sense. How could you bring up a problem and not want to fix it? Husbands, understand your wives. Let's all sing that song. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, but hopefully it makes a little bit more sense. Okay, she just wants you to listen. You need to understand that. You need to understand the makeup of she just wants to talk. Okay, as crazy as that is for us, that's what we need to understand. That's just one aspect. Chivalry is the next one. Peter continues in verse 7, as uh, with a weaker vessel, since she's a woman. In other words, men need to uh, remember that physically they're stronger than women. Okay? Uh, that's why if ladies, if you've ever beat a guy in arm wrestling, he literally goes over in the corner, crawls in a hole, and cries. Okay, anyway. Uh, do, uh, do you practice courtesy and thoughtfulness, such as opening the car door for your wife? Or you're 15 feet out of the driveway while she still has one foot hanging out the door. Remember, your wife is the weaker vessel. She is to be, weaker means to be precious, delicate, handled with delicate care. She's the precious one. We're the expendable one. She's the fine china goblet that needs to be handled with special care. Do you handle her delicately? Do you treat her like that precious? That's what he's talking about. Okay. And is, is that how you're doing it? I have uh, uh, young uh, ladies oftentimes, they'll, Pastor Billy, how come guys, they're just, they treat us like guys and they don't open the door for us. They don't blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, because I says, well, first of all, how are you training them? Do you stand there in front of the door and until they open it up? When you go out on a date, do you uh, not bring any money with you because it's his job to pay for it? Well, Mental rise to the standard. How do you want to be treated? You're the precious vessel. Don't get tricked into coming down off your pedestal, okay? You need to maintain that standard. Man, when Brandy and I were dating, she set me straight. When I finally got the nerve up to ask for her number if she wanted to go out and do something outside of Bible college, and I leaned in through her car window. I said, hey, uh, can I give you my number? She looked over at me. She said, no. Man, I brushed my teeth, I think. I thought she liked me. When she pauses, she says, but I can give you mine if you want to call me. Okay. <laughs> right? She set the standard. Right? She's not chasing after me. I'm the guy. I'm the knight on shining armor. You come to my castle. You speak to my king, my dad. And that's a whole other topic. Let's move on. Uh, communion. How are you supposed to do it? Communion. Peter reminds us that at the end of the seventh verse, grant her honors, a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This phrase, grace of life, means marriage is like the hot fudge on a hot fudge Sunday. Marriage is the topping, the best part of life. And since you've inherited marriage, fulfill it together, will you? Now, as we saw before in previous chapters, uh, we dealt with how to interpret the scripture uh, properly, right? 
All right, let's, let's take a little adventure here. Once again, how many guys would guess, based on the context of this, that what is started and is right about to follow, the guy pinned this when his wife was looking over his shoulder? Communion together, talk together, share together. I thank the Lord for my wife. She's my best friend, my closest girlfriend. <laughs> we commune together. And there's a, a key spiritual thought here too, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A wrong marriage relation uh, closes the windows of heaven. So God doesn't list, no. Let's clarify. God doesn't stand up in heaven and go, no, he hears all of our prayers. He answers all of our prayers. It's either yes, no, or not now. And it's in the no's and the not now's or wait's that we assume he doesn't answer, but he does every single time, all right? And so now, granted, uh, it's kind of hard to expect anything, if you will, and help and assistance from God when you're sinning in your marriage and against your spouse. I think that's a common sense. So God does hear your prayers, but it might hinder him. And he says, I ain't gonna do squat for you until you get your heart right, until you start doing what I've called you to do in the home. You want my blessings? You do it my way, right? And I can see that. Okay, love that sanctifies. Paul continues with his description of Christ's love for the church, which a husband's love for his wife should parallel. He writes that he, Christ, may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. True love always seeks to purify. Is your blank there. Purify. As husbands, in accordance with Christ's example, our lives and the leadership we provide for our lives should always be seeking to sanctify, is your next blank, and purify her. And we should do nothing, listen, that would lead her into sin. If a man really loves his wife, he seeks that which keeps her feet clean from the dust of the world, doing everything in his power to maintain her holiness, her virtue, and her purity. Now listen to this. This is the convicting part I was telling you before. This brings up some hard questions. Is my wife more like Christ because she's married to me? Whoa. Or is she like Christ in spite of me? Am I being a stumbling block? Has she shrunk from his likeness because of me? Do I sanctify her or hold her back? Is she a better woman because of me? Is she a better friend, a better mother? Men, our call is clear, sanctifying love you're to be that godly example you sh- your wife should say hey thank i'm so glad i married you because you know what my walk with jesus christ is way better why because you're leading by way of example you're not a summon block to her you're leading the way by example it is the husband that is responsible for teaching the word to his wife since it's the word of god which cleanses he must verbally teach her as well as being an example of a godly life a wife is a man's first priority in ministry love that cherishes and nourishes the next page 154 uh so paul continues so husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for nobody ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ also does the church because we are members of his body how many times do we have food clothing and shelter needs in which we do not care for ourselves in those areas i just can't do it Oh man, they gave me a, I haven't eaten for four days and somebody came up here and gave me a triple bacon cheese from Wendy's and I, I just, I can't do it to myself. I, I just, oh man, this morning I got up and I just, I'm so sick and tired of having to eat breakfast. And then lunch, here comes lunch. I got to lunch and 
And I got to put my shoes on. I got to get dressed. <laughs> we don't think twice about taking care of our needs, right? And see, this is back a little bit to that leaving cleave. You're so stuck together, man. Whoa, nothing's getting you apart. Well, guess what? You're that one flesh. And just as you don't even think twice about meeting your practical needs, you need to have the same attitude when it comes to your wife, right? And I'll just throw in this as a little tip there, men. Uh, sometimes, I don't know if this happened to you when you first got married, right? And uh, I learned that women buy all kinds of weird different stuff that I never bought in my life, okay? All kinds of weird stuff, right? And, and, and not other, like some obvious other lady stuff. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about my wife, Brandy, the first time she came back to the store alone without me, she came back with all this weird stuff, like Windex. I never buy Windex. Who buys that, right? She, she got this weird stuff that you actually throw in the dryer and makes it smell good. I've never bought that in my life. I just want to dry. I'm a guy. And that rhymes too, by the way. <laughs> and at first it was like, what, what are you wasting our money? What are you doing? What are you doing? Right? And then she started putting all these things on the shelf. The, I call them knick-knack paddy wax. I says, what do you want to do? Collect more dust? What are you doing? Right? Man, as you can tell, I had a rough first year marriage. <laughs> but you need to understand that you need to understand their needs are different than your needs. I'm not saying, well, I've got to have that 727th pair of shoes, honey. You've got to meet my need. I'm not saying that. Okay, there's, there's a line to draw there. But come on, you've got to understand it's not just about you. And just as you have no uh, uh, hassle with meeting your needs, you need to do that with your wife. And that's what he's talking about here. Uh, it's, not, we, we, uh, it's not stimulated by emotion. It's stimulated by our inner drive to meet our needs, our own self. This is Paul's point. We don't love our wives and care for them because we feel a deep emotional uh, love for them. Although we may many times. We love and care for them because they have needs and we have a decision, made a decision of the will to meet those needs. I'm going to do it. All right? Hey, Windex makes you happy. Go get that Windex. Okay? As long as you've got to use it, not me. So, anyway, uh, we love them as our own body since we have become one body. Okay? The Hebrew word translated cleave, again, as we saw, literally means something glued together. As men, we're provided, uh, we are to provide for, to protect, to preserve our wives and families. Why? Because that's your natural desire, isn't it? To be, protect yourself from danger and your physical, right? It's the same thing. The Greek word translated nourishes is ektrypho. And it's used many times in relationship to nurturing and raising children. The word translated cherish means to warm with body heat. This is cool. These are the responsibilities of the husband. The husband should provide for the material needs of the family, food, clothing, shelter, as well as a home that provides a safe, warm, emotionally healthy environment. Well, how do you do that? By putting God's standard there. By being that godly man that says, you know what? As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. You can go after the bales. You can go after, you need to make up your mind. But you know what? Listen, I'm the spiritual leader of this house and this house, we're following Jesus Christ, right? Now that provides, whether you realize or not, men, an emotional, stable environment. Doesn't mean everybody always succumbs to the spiritual standard, but you ain't bucking, you ain't moving nothing. You're the rock, you're the stability of that house so that when the crises come, they know that, listen, dad uh, is not gonna crack. My husband is not gonna crack. I always know that he has got his faith in Jesus Christ and he's on his knees, uh, spiritually interceding for our family. We're gonna make it. And that provides a great security and emotional security for the woman. Our greatest need as men is we need to be respected. Ladies, you need a sense of security. There's your peanut butter and jelly again. 
right? Let's continue on is what he says here. He says this, remember Genesis 3, the woman uh, was cursed in childbearing uh, and submission uh, activities involving the home. The man was cursed in having to work hard to provide for his family. From the very beginning, it was assumed that the woman would be at home with the children, meeting the needs there, okay, the jelly side, and the man would be given warmth and security to her. This is God's design. The husband provides security for his wife as Christ provides for his church. Hey, who meets our needs? I do. It's me. Ha, ha, ha. I'm the one. Who gave you that job? God. Who gives you the ability to earn that? It's God. You can say it's you all you want, right? God, Jesus provides for us. Anybody glad about that? Right? And that's what he's saying. Listen, men, oh, that's, what, that's our calling as well. Christ provides nourishment and cherishes us, the church, because we are his body in the same way we nourish and cherish our wives because they are our bodies. We are so stuck together, man. Woo! We are cleaving together is what he says there. Uh, then they became so when we married, we cleaved, we're glued to each other. The fact that our love is to follow the model of love of Christ has for his church shows that God has a very high view of women. Okay? Again, is your home, is your wife a better Christian because she married you? Right? Are you providing that spiritual, which translates into emotional stability in the home? Because you don't budge from Jesus Christ. Oh, here's a big one. And if you do blow it in the home, are you man enough to own up to it? And not just say, I'm sorry, because men, we're going to make mistakes, just as though our wives are going to make mistakes. It's a journey, it's a process, it's a learning thing for us. But will you say, not I'm sorry, will you please forgive me for X, Y, Z, get back up, Keep moving forward. Don't have a pity party. Get back up, man up to it, and keep moving forward. Your family needs you to be that leader, that stability. Okay? One more to go. The implications of a, a headship of, on decision making. This brings us to the question of responsibilities and processes for decision making. The delicate balance that must be maintained is that of the husband's leadership in a situation in which two equal image bearers of God are involved. The husband must honor his wife as we saw there with that verse, and respect her views, opinions, feelings, and contributions, top of page 155, about the issue at hand. And he must do so in a way that takes into account both his and her strengths and weaknesses, okay? And again, uh, that's what uh, Peter's talking about. He must not give over the leadership to the woman as Adam did to Eve, for uh, then to him also would the rebuke that was given to Adam applied to him because you've listened to the voice of your wife, all right? So on the one hand, you need to be that leader, but when you lead, as we're gonna see, you don't always agree, right? But a decision has to be made. So what do you do? As a man, it would behoove you to listen uh, to uh, her input. I've learned over the years that Brandy's got this intriguing thing. It's called uh, in the vernacular, a woman's intuition. Right? And she can pick up on things that I'm kind of, as a guy, clueless to. And she can read between the lines. She's really good at that. I think most ladies are. I know that's what they said, but what they really meant was. And you've got to filter through that. I'm not saying they're always right. But as a man, I've learned that, man, they can pick up on things that were clueless. And you need all the information you can gather to make a hopefully wise, godly decision, right? But sometimes you're going to disagree, so the buck stops with you. Somebody's got to make that decision. Now listen, he balances it out here. He says, neither should you act rashly and harshly as Nabal did, not seeking the sensible and wise advice that his wife 
Abigail, if you guys remember the account there, David comes in with his men. He's providing protection, I believe, in the area. And then they needed some uh, chow. And so they go to Nabal, who had all kinds of stuff, okay, and said, hey, could you help us out with some chow? And he basically dissed David and says, absolutely not, whatever. And basically David said, okay, we're going to wipe you out, bro. Okay, and his wife interceded for him and basically saved his life. He later dies, I think, of a heart attack. Um, and, uh, but she interceded for him and she was trying to count, listen, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But he didn't listen, okay? So you need to receive that input, okay, and pay attention to it, okay? After all, the wife is given uh, to the husband is to be the chief helper. Now, you're not just a helpmate, you're the chief helper. So you would think you want to listen to y- y- your right-hand man, so to speak, or woe man, okay, the chief helper, all right? Uh, the husband and the wife should seek to come to a mutually satisfactory decision after discussion and through prayer and seeking the principles of God's word. And they should do so under the leadership and the guidance of the husband, which should initiate this process. I tell this to men all the time. You got problems in your home? I ain't gonna talk. I tried to talk and she don't wanna talk. I don't wanna talk. We ain't gonna do with this. But Excuse me? Somebody has to be the Christian. You're the man. You're the spiritual leader. You take the initiative. But I don't care. You're the man. You're the leader. You take the initiative to fix this. Get that ball rolling. Okay? Is what he's talking about here. All right? And he continues on. He talks about that in this world of of sin, which both husband and wife are beset by the limitation sin brings to our understanding and to the uh, 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 evaluative and decision-making process, there will be times when a consensus may not be reached. Means you're not going to agree on it. And this situation is the husband's responsibility to exercise his leadership role and make the decision, okay? The wife needs to submit to that decision unless, of course, the decision is clearly intrinsically evil. And there's a couple examples there for you to read, okay? Uh, so if he, again, asks you to go rob a Walmart, you don't do it, okay? It's pretty obvious, okay? But when you have a decision has to be made, you gotta make it. As we talked before, as we get ready to close, uh, again, this is the heavy mantle responsibility, all right? You make that decision, men. You take all the input. Let's say it's a great decision, right? Yay, that's awesome. Let's say you took all the input. You did that, but you disagreed, but you made the decision. It turned out to be a rotten decision. So what do you do? You get to go back to your wife. I told you that wasn't the right way. Why did I ever listen to you? No, welcome to being a leader. It's your fault, right? If a general makes a good decision or a bad decision, whose fault is it? His and his alone. You're the one who's supposed to be leading them in. You should have made a better. Yeah, but I listened to all the advisors. I don't care. The buck stops with you. You made the decision. It's your fault. It's the same thing. It's, you know, oh, that's right. He gets right. All, hey, listen. When you understand what true biblical leadership is, as a man, it should be extremely humbling and almost kind of scare you. At least what I call it keeps you sucking carpet before God. Oh, God, please, man. My family's dependent upon me. I need to make the right decision according to your will, what's best for us. I need your wisdom desperately. And the woman's right there backing him up. Oh, God, please make him into that godly, wonderful leader. And I'm going to trust you, God, that you're going to move on his heart to make the right decision. That's a godly family. That's the way back, as we saw at the beginning. What's the payoff for us? Not that this should be our highest motive. We need to do this because God said to do it. But the payoff is, as Christians, we are the only ones on the planet by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word as a guide to have the best possible marriage since the pre-fall state when Adam and Eve blew it. Isn't that awesome? Lord willing, next time we're going to talk about man as a father and hopefully finish that out. And then ladies, woo-hoo, it's your turn. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, let's go in prayer.
Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life 
Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.